2: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at bzd.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And don't forget you can also follow us on the Twitter tag at Show. My name's Michael Steindl. Today I'm joined by my co hosts Kay Winnegal. Hello, Mike. And Natalie Bucknell. Hello. Today we are talking to Dimitri Lafleur about the recent... Melbourne Energy Institute review into the current and future methane gas emissions from unconventional oil and gas production in Australia. Dimitri Lafleur is a PhD student at the Australian-German College of Climate and Energy Transitions at the University of Melbourne. Dimitri worked for the oil and gas company Shell for 11 years in the Netherlands and Australia after graduating from the University of Utrecht with an MSc in Geology and Geophysics. Dimitri is researching the climate impact of fugitive emissions on the fossil fuel industry and conventional gas, in particular, unconventional gas, sorry, in particular, and was a lead author on the report I just mentioned. Hello, Dimitri. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Good
0: day. Good to be here.
2: You worked, as I said, for Shell for many years, and now uh, you're researching the production issues generated by oil and gas companies like Shell. Some might say that's um, changing from the dark side to the bright side. Tell us about that transition. How that came about.
0: Uh, it does sometimes feel like that. Um, it's, uh, I'm from Holland, and so Shell uh, is a Dutch company. And so when I joined, it was really, oh, I'm going to try and do something from within. Um, and then after several years, you have to basically realize that that's impossible because it's such a large company. And so when I was in Australia, I realized that um, it was not going the way that uh, I think an oil and gas company should uh, respond to the, the pressing issues of climate change. And uh, after trying to do something from within, uh, I said, uh, this is taking far too long and I'm going to move away from this uh, this industry.
1: Wow. And you certainly have moved away in a powerful way. Your report really highlights how powerful methane is as a greenhouse gas, being over 86 times more powerful than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period. That's right. And 34 times more powerful over a 100-year period. As far as global warming is concerned, can you tell us a bit more about that and its effects, say, compared to coal?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a lot of numbers floating around with regards to uh, methane and global warming potentials. Um, that is sometimes um, sort of um, difficult for, for people to understand. Um, on a 20-year timescale, it is roughly uh, 86 times more powerful if you include all the, the carbon cycle uh, um, uh, feedbacks. Um, on a 100-year timescale, it's 34 times more powerful, and it has all to do with the, um, the radiative forcing of methane. Uh, it's a very uh, potent greenhouse gas, um, and if you include all the indirect effects of the, the chemical reactions that are involved with methane, which produces ozone and um, uh, carbon dioxide and um, uh, stratospheric water vapor, um, it becomes a very powerful uh, thing. And... Um, So it it deteriorates over uh, quite a short uh, period. So over 20-year times, it's extremely powerful. Over 100-year times, it's less powerful. And over a a centennial timescale, it's it's way less uh, powerful. And so the fact that it's in the atmosphere so short, so say 10 to 12 years, um, means that on a very short time scale it um, it can be very um impactful on a very long time scale c o two is far more potent and so um that is the the whole idea that um, uh, the, the emissions of co 2 really have to go down very quickly uh, to adhere to the the paris agreement um, and um, uh, if that is happening that is when methane gets really critical
1: mm. so because the um, paris agreements are two degrees and hopefully one and a half degrees of warming that we're targeting or trying to reduce it to um, methane is very important because it has such a powerful impact in the, sh- in the short term. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's uh, very impactful and, and very powerful to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in this, in the situation that CO2 emissions are going down. So, CO two emissions basically uh, determine um, whether temperatures are rising or not, and so in this in this uh, um, the current situation um, we are really trying to get co two emissions down um, there's a you know a fair chance that if people uh, that countries are doing what they're supposed to be doing then um, co2 emissions are going to peak uh, very soon say in 2020 um, and if that is happening uh, then we're sort of getting close to the actual uh the 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 actual peak temperature and um uh, because methane is such a short-lived gas for 10 to 12 years in that um period um it it really makes a difference whether you are going to reduce methane emissions because you're getting very close to the peak temperature and if you then start doing something about methane that is when you get a real impact of that short-lived gas because it's so so powerful
1: Okay. And that means all the gas extraction that we're doing at the moment is actually making the whole situation much worse than it should be. We should be weaning ourselves off gas very, very quickly.
0: Yeah. So if, if the fugitive emissions or methane emissions uh, in general uh, are much higher than we think they are, then uh, gas has a much larger impact on um, on the climate. So um, in general, coal is much worse than uh, than gas, and that's how people perceive things, but if the um, the methane emissions associated with uh, gas extraction are much higher, then you're not looking at the, the conventional way of w- whether gas or coal is better. It's not just about uh, co2 emissions of uh, coal versus gas which is sixty uh, percent uh, um, um, uh, mo- so gas is emitting sixty percent of what uh, coal is emitting uh, if you if you have to include all these methane emissions beca- because of um, uh, methane emissions from unconventional gas then uh, the impact of the total greenhouse gas emissions of this industry is much larger. And that's, uh, in most cases, forgotten. And, yeah. yeah. So that's that's one of the cruxes of
2: your report, isn't it? That um, at the moment, many on the planet, and particularly in the fossil fuel industry, obviously are looking to transition to to gas, advocating it as a transition fuel to get off fossil fuels. But um, your report's pointing out the, the high highly amplified effect that methane has um, which may negate any benefits of that what what at what point does the fugitive mesha- methane or leaked methane overcome the benefits of of changing to methane
0: yeah so there's there's quite a lot of studies done in the u s uh, in particular because they they are extracting so much uncon- unconventional gas and um, uh, the, the rough um, um, sort of um, Default number that is floating around is around 3.2, 3% of um, uh, production, if that is emitted into the atmosphere, then the impact of gas is very similar to coal. And you have to remember that it's all uh, dependent on assumptions around efficiency of um, uh, getting gas or coal to electricity, for example. There's a whole raft of things that that, uh, are impacted by that. But if you take, you know, in the middle of the road assumptions about efficiency and uh, extraction and stuff like that, then uh, you end up with a, a number around
2: 3%. So just to be crystal clear on that, that, in the entire production process, from getting the stuff out of the ground through to the fact that when you burn it in your hot water heater or whatever, not all of it burns, if there's more than 3.2%, then we might as well have burnt coal um, any more than 3.2%. We'd be better off with coal.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's staggering.
1: So just for our listeners' sake, can you explain what unconventional gas is?
0: Yeah, so unconventional gas is, um, well, basically what the term says, it's, it's not conventional. Um, and conventional gas is uh, um, uh, oil and gas extraction that we have done for the last hundred years. So it's, um, it's coming from a very very simple reservoir like a sandstone or a, or a carbonate. And with very um, uh, old technology, uh, you can extract that. Um, it's very easy because the permeability in those rocks are fairly high. Um, and there's all sorts of uh, hydrocarbon sitting in formations that are, until very recently, not accessible. So the, the unconventional gas that we're talking about, or and gas in general, sits in reservoirs which are uh, shales or extremely tight sandstones um, or even coal seams. And uh, until very recently, it was not really known how to get um, hydrocarbons out of there um, economically. So in um, in the mid-2000s, a little bit earlier actually, um, in the U.S., there were some real technological breakthroughs around horizontal drilling and hydro- hydraulic fracturing um, that allowed the companies to extract enormous amount of oil and gas uh, on a very economical basis. And so that's termed uh, unconventional because it was not conventional. Um, it's it's basically getting hydrocarbons out of areas which are um, much more difficult uh, compared to the the, the, the the hundred years old uh, technologies.
2: So in Australia, where where are we at with the unconventional gas oil and gas industry?
0: Yeah, so um, Australia has an enormous amount of uh, resources um, in in the unconventional sphere. Uh, the ones that are now being developed are um, coal seam gas, um, that's in Queensland. Uh, And that comes from the coal seams, which is, um, in the unconventional space, even a very unconventional uh, um, uh, area, uh, because it's from coal seams. And that's not so much uh, something that the oil and gas industry has been uh, doing uh, on a regular basis. Um, So that's one aspect, coal seams. Uh, The other one is, uh, like I said, um, shales. Australia has enormous potential in uh, in shale gas, particularly in the Canning Basin, uh, which is in West Australia. Uh, but the the downside there is that it's so far away from the market that it's uh, going to be very expensive to get that to some some market by, with a railroad or with pipelines or an LNG export terminal or what have you. Uh, so that, that's a long way off. But development currently is in, in Queensland in coal seams.
1: For those of you that have just joined us, we're talking today with Dimitri Lafleur about um, methane gas emissions in Australia and how they're being measured or not. So, Dimitri, um, by 2017 in Australia, unconventional gas production will have increased threefold since 2013 when the Queensland coal seam gas exports are combined with the West Australian and Northern Territory gas production. And so Australia will overtake Qatar as the world's largest gas exporting country. Does that mean Australia is going to be a world leader in methane emissions as well?
0: Uh, let's let 's hope not um, it 's uh, well yeah the, the fact is that we don 't really know uh, what 's happening on that front um, it 's true that Australia is going to take over uh, Qatar as the leader exporter, uh, but you have to keep in mind that um, the u s is um, extracting far more uh, gas from uh, unconventional sources because it 's used on a domestic uh, domestic scale very recently they have started to export uh, gas which is a, a novelty for uh, for the US because it was uh, was banned you can't until very recently you couldn't uh, export uh, hydrocarbons from the US um so um there is a lot of there's a lot of more stuff happening in the US and the, the research that has been going on s- until now uh, is based um in the US and focused on the US And from that research, uh, it has been shown that um, the unconventional gas exploration and production that has been going in the U.S. um, is associated with much more methane emissions than was uh, anticipated. And yes, uh, um, uh, U.S. um, extraction is shale gas, which is not the same as in, um, in Queensland. Um, but it, yeah, it has to be said that nobody really thought that this um, uh, the scale of the methane emissions in the U.S. could be of the order of uh, where it is at. So that the research shows that it's uh, depending on basins, um, but it can be between 2 and 10%. Um, and 10% obviously um, takes into account uh, assumptions again, but even in, in basins where this 10%, for example, is happening in the Bakken um, uh, formation in the north of the U.S., um, the the EIA, the, the the US EIA, has released figures that uh, North Dakota was doing a really good job because they um, they got their flaring of um, of methane down to ten percent of production. So it really shows how big of a of an impact um, methane emissions or, or flaring in this case uh, can have. Ten uh, percent of the gas production in North Dakota was flared in 2016, and they came off from a 35 percent. Um, of production, which basically means that there wasn't any market for that gas. And oil and gas companies, if they don't have any market, it's not economical to do anything with it. And um yeah, you have to get rid of it. So um you flare it because you in the US you were after oil um and this was really a byproduct. So um it's getting it's getting better in the US, but it does mean that um the, the methane emissions in the US are probably uh much higher. Um, but again we don't know anything about um, the actual methane emissions in, in australia so it may well be the case that it's much higher than we think
2: yeah i want to get down to that in a moment about what australia is actually reporting but just before we do that and, and coming back to this 3.2 percent can you take us through the entire chain and and where the leakages might and and do happen but both the stuff that we know i know your report covers a very limited forty-three wells of the ten thousand that CSIRO examined, and even that with limitations. But uh, there were a whole bunch of things they didn't examine, weren't there?
0: Yeah, that's correct. So uh, until until now, people have uh, focused on the the wells, the well pads. Um, that's where people think the the leakage can take place. Um, but yeah, you have to realize unconventional gas is not conventional gas. In conventional gas, it's a few wells uh, per per platform, and that's really it. They're very large wells. In unconventional wells, you have to drill thousands of wells to get the same production. Um, and in Queensland, we're looking at 10,000 at the moment, and there are they're probably going to be some thirty, forty, fifty thousand 40,000, 50,000 wells uh, in place. Um, that all has to be connected with uh, infrastructure. So you're looking at uh, uh, watering lines, uh, gas lines. Um, uh, you've, you're looking at um, compression stations, mm-hmm. um, which in, involves a lot of flaring as well. Um, Are you looking at um, the
2: the flaring itself? Is that 100% efficient? Uh, uh,
0: Probably not. Um, Again, the assumption is made that uh, 2% of the flare is not combusted, uh, which means that um, 2% of that that, uh, methane is uh, vented. And um, <clears throat> as as a rule, um, the 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 impact of three percent methane venting is similar to the impact of the carbon dioxide associated with the ninety-seven percent that is combusted, mm. under a hundred-year timescale. So uh, yeah, that's that's not um, that's not uh, that trivial either. Um, and on top of that, you've got uh, the migratory emissions, which uh, we don't know anything about. Um, it's it's something that is um, it's it 's hypothesized on um, and uh, but there 's no real measurements um, uh, in that regard. The only thing that we know is that the the Konderman River in Queensland has been increasing in um, in bubbling and that 's methane bubbling um, there's anecdotal evidence that suggests that there wasn 't that much going on before the calcium gas developments were going on. Um, But to make the the claim that the the increase in bubbling is a direct effect of calcium gas is something that you can't make uh, yet because there is no no measurements taken place. No one
2: did any baselines, and,
0: and there were no baselines mm-hmm. because, yeah, at that time the the, the, com- the companies were allowed to just move in uh, without um, making any baseline. Uh, so this uh, migratory
2: is a new term. On top of all the fugitive emissions from leaking of the equipment and stuff, there's also the the possibility and probability of of major leakage. Where uh, explain the migratory emissions briefly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the 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 odd thing with unconventional gas from coal seams is that you have to extract enormous amount of uh, water from those coal, me- coal seams to lower the pressure because yeah, the water is, uh, is basically a mass of a body of, um, of water sitting in those, uh, around those coals. And so if you extract that water, the pressure of the coal seams decreases mm-hmm. and that allows the gas that sits on the coals to uh, release itself and be mobile. And so the the idea is that you drill thousands of wells in those coal seams and you extract that gas that, that suddenly is mobile. Um, but that's not to say that um, gas that is getting mobile away from those wells starts flowing. Mm. And it may well be that it's uh, flowing towards the wells because there's the pressure gradient, but it may well be that it finds an easier way um, away from those wells uh, towards the surface. So you've got faults, you've got um, formations that may not be that... Um, Uh, impermeable as people think they are. Um, You've got um, an aquitard sitting on top of those coals that basically prevents uh, saline um, water from that aquifer moving upward into a different aquifer. But there is data around that suggests that there is um, connection between those two aquifers. Well, if there is a connection and you've got gas that that is mobile close to um, uh, a connection point there, then it may well uh, flow upwards in that aquifer. And so it's possible that uh, gas has been um, uh, flowing towards the um, the, the upper uh, aquifer, which is called the Condamine alluvium, um, and found, found a way into a fault which is sitting underneath the Condamine River and got into the Condamine River. But because we don't have um, a lot of measurements associated with that, uh, we don't have any seismic to suggest that there is um, uh, faults present in that area that connect the walloon coals, which is the, the main uh, coals in that area, and um, uh, the uh, the condomine alluvium. Uh, we don't know whether this, um, this bubbling is a direct effect.
1: So you mentioned um, there is a YouTube video about uh, was it a politician sitting in his boat yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to... <laughs>
0: Jeremy Buckingham. <laughs> Jeremy Buckingham. Yeah, and went viral around the world. Yeah, yeah that's right. Light- lighting so put, the river. <laughs>
1: put, putting a match to the gas coming out and yeah, yeah. Um, he just about blew his boat up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not very smart, but he got the attention.
1: <laughs> so the Columbine River is in Queensland?
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
1: Right, okay. And just to be um, go over what we just talked about, fugitive methane emissions... Uh, from well heads n- not migratory compressor stations gas and watering lines gas and water treatment plants decommissioned wells all these places are areas where emissions aren't measured is that correct
0: yeah that's so uh, from the wells uh, people have been measuring um uh, in 2010 11 and 14 again um, but there's a whole raft of things that uh, also emit um, uh, can emit uh, methane emissions and um uh, CSRO has been measuring in 2014 at wells um, but there were places that they couldn't measure anything because the background was much higher um, and that was because um, equipment around those wells was uh, was leaking methane but because that was not part of the scope of that uh, that study uh, they couldn't do they couldn't measure anything uh, in the in those places so yeah, there is, is fairly um, good evidence to suggest that there is more leaking than just wells, and it's about time that people start to do, some, do something about that.
2: We, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and we're speaking with D- D- Dimitri Lafleur about the current and future methane gas emissions from unconventional oil and gas production in Australia. Dimitri, your report to the Melbourne in- Energy Institute... Says that Australia is reporting a level of 0.5% of total gas production as leakage. Now, at first that sounds good. It's 25 times the very limited CSIRO validated report of those 43 stations, which was 0.3% of, 0.43% of all stations. It's five times the 0.1% figure that's used by APR and the environmental studies. But, your report also points out, I think it's a third of the revised U.S. figures. Um, it's um, the – much. Uh, some of the U.S. basins are showing 2 to 7% and it doesn't even um, consider migratory emissions. Can you expand on that a bit, please?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the Australian government um, has the figure of 0.5%. Um, and that is indeed five times higher than what APIA, the, the, the oil and gas body, suggests um, is the case in, um, in Australia. But that is um, dependent on that, um, that one emission factor that is supposedly validated by the CSRO study, that, that well study. Um, that emission factor, um, so you've got one emission factor for the wells, is based on an emission factor from the US um, for conventional gas. And from 1994, mm. so it's extremely old, and it's for a technology um, that is not uh, equivalent to what we're doing here.
2: So, apart from that tiny CSIRO study, we've got nothing to validate the APA figure. APA figure.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the yeah the 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 um, the, uh, the number that uh, the Australian government is using um, is is a very limited um, yeah uh, backed it's, up. It's by what evidence. the oil
2: industry tells us.
0: Well, maybe yeah. Uh, the API obviously um, suggests that um, they are not emitting methane more than they are require That they that they need to. Uh, sometimes you have to do that in the oil and gas industry. But they say it's zero point one percent. But you know, there's nothing to suggest that that number is actually um, uh, based on, on on real measurements. And so zero point five percent is uh, what the government is um, is using. Um, Given the research that um, the, the United States has seen um, coming out from their um, academic uh, areas, it shows that the um, the unconventional gas methane emissions are much higher and the EPA there has doubled its uh, methane emissions figure. So they've taken action because people have been measuring. Um, and uh, on top of the fact that um, yeah, it's much lower than what the US is, uh, is uh, taking into account, the UN has come back to Australia and says, guys you need to really um, uh, do something else than uh, what you're doing at the moment because your um, reporting is not up to, up to spec. It's, um, it, it's, yeah, it's not taking into account the new uh, ways of doing things in the oil and gas industry. So, um, yeah, they, they are um, called upon to do something uh, with regards to their accounting.
2: So the
0: UN is
2: concerned about Australia's um, methodologies, I believe. They've asked us to um, g- go
0: and do our homework again and get better figures? Yeah, yeah. They, they got back to us and, uh, and, and, yeah, and asked to, uh, to update our uh, methodologies.
1: And also the CSIRO said that reliable measurements in Australian oil and gas production facilities are yet to be made. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. So the CSIRO has done fantastic work at the wells. Um, but, yeah, like they said, nobody has done any work in any other areas. And, um, yeah, it, it's quite uh, very well possible that in, that in those areas there are much higher methane emissions than uh, uh, than we think they are. So tell us more about the limitations on the study they have
2: done. Um, I, I thought they couldn't even measure other wells because the leakage around them was so great that they couldn't even...
0: Yeah, yeah. So they, they've done a study at uh, 43 wells <coughs> and um, uh, got measurements at uh, quite a few of them. But at a few wells, um, it wasn 't even possible because the background um, was so high um, and and that showed that yeah much more is um, is leaking away from um, uh, from those well pads and that surroundings of the well pads um, They have advocated um, uh, technologies that are around there to do something about that um, you've got a whole raft of technologies how to uh, measure. Uh, methane emissions um, from from vast areas. Like you know, you can use satellites, you can use airplanes, you can use um, uh, mobile uh, devices like cars, drones. Even at some stage, drones get uh, um, uh, big enough to carry uh, spectrometers, and you know, in real time, you can do you can do measurements. So there's a lot of things you can do, and you can e- even have cameras that can detect gas, um, and you can quantify—not qualify—but you can quantify the gas that you can see in those cameras. It's, it's astounding, and so there's a lot of stuff happen- uh, possible, um, it, but it does require some investment to uh, to get uh, measurements um, from from that area.
1: So, who would be responsible for doing those measurements?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so, currently CSRO is taking the real lead in this. Um, the um, uh, Southern Cross University has done some work in 2012. Um, there may well be that um, that other universities have to step in, but the, obviously the, the the big thing here is that there needs to be money available to do this. Um, and I would advocate that um, uh, if APIA is so adamant that uh, 0.1% is really what we are emitting, then they have to show that that's the case. And uh, at the moment, that's, that's not happening. We, we don't know whether 0.1% is a decent number. Um, so I think the oil and gas industry should um, really um, have some money available to, uh, to be very transparent to the public what, uh, what the methane emissions are. So the conclusion of this
2: study, um, it, what is it? Is it that we can use gas or that we don't know yet whether we can use gas because we don't have these measurements?
0: Uh, I think it's going too far to say we can't use gas because, uh, obviously, gas is cleaner than, than coal in terms of combustion emissions. Um, but it does show that, um, in, in particularly in Queensland, uh, in, in Australia, the oil and gas industry has been allowed to move in without doing real baselines. Um, and and that's, that's, a, that's a big um, yeah, no-no in my, in my mind. Um, so I think uh, that, that really has to be tackled. Um, and um, gas may well be a good transition fuel towards the future, um, but uh, it's only a possible transition. Uh, renewables is really where we have to go.
1: We've been talking today to Dimitri Le Fleur about the report into methane gas emissions in Australia. Dimitri, thank you so much for your time today. It's very interesting. Thank you. Where can our listeners find out more about this and your report?
0: Uh, it's on the uh, Melbourne Energy Institute website. You can download it there. Uh, and it's obviously also available on the Australia Institute website because they commissioned this study in the first place.
2: And uh-huh. BZD videoed your talk the other
0: night, did uh, yeah, and that's right. On the BZD uh, Beyond Zero Emissions website, it's also downloadable. Uh, there's also a presentation there that you can watch.
1: That's right. And it's a very interesting presentation. Hmm. Thanks, Dimitri. Thank you. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter Tech Show. Thanks for listening and catch you again next week.
2: It's not a product,
1: it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension.
0: There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Time Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political
1: lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster
2: than that.
0: You've got something that's transformational.
2: Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself
0: level.